going to the book of Jude and really coming full circle today on what the writer calls the way of Cain, right? There are more things that we need to extrapolate from this man that we need to extract. There are things that you need to know, things that I want you to put in front of your face and measure yourself by. We need to know how this guy ticks. How does he think? How does his cogs move, if you will, those spiritual cogs? You want to pick up on this because you do not want to fall into the trap of who he is as a person. And so with that said, let's break into this. We're going to look at uh, Genesis 4-7. This is where we left off last week. If you do well, this is the Lord speaking to Cain. He's been rejected. His sacrifice is rejected. And Cain is angry with the Lord. The Lord comes to him, if you do well... Will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. So, you know, again, just a quick reiteration. Instead of God coming, you know, here you have Cain is extremely angry. Instead of God coming to Cain and wiping him out, which you'd have been justified in doing. Instead of doing that, he comes and pours out his love and mercy and compassion and grace, all these attributes that we love so much about who he is, about his character. And he literally gives them the keys to the kingdom of heaven in a sense. He gives them the plat, the, the platform of this is the way to go. Stand on this platform, then you will inherit eternal life. Listen to me. If you do well, you will be mine and I will be your God. And then he hits this crescendo moment. And talking about sin, its desire is for you. In other words, sin wants to rule you. It wants to have total and complete authority over you. It wants to put a hook in your mouth and drag you down the street as a slave. But you should rule over it. You want to talk about changing the way you conceptualize spiritual warfare? I mean, truly? This does it. The Lord just came out and said, you can have authority. You have it. Whether you exercise it or not is up to you. But not even the devil can come and take that from you. But you can give it to him. This is the reality. And I'm going to tell you, this is the template of life. Nothing has changed. Period. Nothing has changed. It was the same words that the Lord spoke to Cain. The same words that came out of Yeshua's mouth, the same words that come out of the disciples' mouth, which you will see today. Nothing has changed. This is the template to salvation. God's not giving them some prescription to succeed just here in this age. It goes way beyond that. What he gave him was the template for eternal life. Well, we're going to push on. The story goes on, verse 8, this is what we read. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Are you kidding me? God no sooner gets done pouring out his love, his mercy to Cain and telling him this is the way that you should walk. Go in at Cain. Cain turns around and what's he do? He kills his brother. No repentance, no remorse. I mean, God yet again has spoken to him The word of the Lord has come to Cain. It did nothing. Nothing in his heart. He didn't believe it. Cain didn't believe it. And you're going to see today, this is one of the foundational principles that we'll be getting into. There's no faith. He really didn't believe those words. Had he who had dropped to his knees and repented. All Cain has 
is anger. That's all that's left in his heart. He just has anger. He is so angry, he's angry at God. And guess what? Now he's moved his anger and pointed it towards Abel. Oh, because Abel is the problem. If it weren't for Abel, Cain wouldn't have looked so bad. I mean, really, so, you know, when you have a problem in Cain's mind, I have a problem, it's real simple, I'll just take care of that problem. I will cancel it. I will cancel Abel. Just like the cancel culture today is trying to cancel Jesus, is trying to cancel purity and holiness. Biblical morality, as we define, as we look and see, God defines biology. He defines a man. He defines a woman. Oh, guess what? He defines marriage. But if you start to speak to these principles and you start to speak this truth, this progressive insanity, this cancel culture, they're going to do what Cain has done to Abel. They're coming. Make no mistake. I mean, this is the temple. Cain is the pioneer of the cancel culture movement. Do you truly want to understand their minds and how they think? Pay attention today. Because it's found in Cain. This is how a progressive, this is how cancel culture understands things. It's, it's really something. Well, I want to take you to the book of Revelation. And I'm going to show you, you know what? The narrative that we're reading in regard to Cain and Abel. It's not just a story. No, 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 no. It's prophecy. In fact, nay, I say, you're living it. Let me take you to Revelation. Check this out. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. The dragon was enraged with the woman. Notice any similarities? What is the only thing Cain has? Anger. We see this very attribute. Okay, we went from Genesis. Now we're at the end of the book in Revelation. And the one attribute being described here is anger towards the woman. He's very angry. Well, then we continue. And he went to make war with the rest of her offspring. Interesting. Out of anger, he's enraged. And the fruit of that, he moves to kill. Cain. This is the life of Cain. It's totally, it, I mean, this is, you can put this narrative right on top. And, okay, so let's think about Isaiah 46, 10 for a second. You know, uh, God declares the end from the beginning. It's prophecy. So make no mistake, we're reading this story about Cain and Abel. There's something prophetically significant and super deep that we need to be drawing out. And you get a taste of that by looking at, you're literally seeing this play out all over again. This is Cain and Abel. You have the people, you have the devil, who's the essence, and Cain is the personification of that devil. And in the end times, the days we are moving into, we see that the whole concept, society, will go the way of Cain. And the enemy will be literally, within them, moving against the elect of God to kill. But here, as we continue... And we're going to learn so much about Abel in the following statement. Because there's attributes that the elect bear. And what are those attributes? It is this. That they, they keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of the Messiah Yeshua. You're going to see today, Abel bore this. He bore these characteristics. They were within him, within his heart. I mean, this is really amazing that, you know, you have this template of Cain and Abel that it's just total prophecy of the end times. And how that played out, that's what's coming. 
Isaiah 59, verse 15, one of my favorite passages on this. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself pray. Think about that. When truth fails, this is talking about when society falls into depravity. When society becomes literally repulsed by the beautiful truths in God's Torah, in his word. When they become offended by the name of Jesus. They hate it. It does something. See, that's when a generation, that's when, when a nation like ours, that's when truth fails. And all those that are going to cling to the truth, and that are going to say, and they're going to confess Yeshua as the Messiah, and they're going to keep his commandments, they refuse to compromise. They refuse to fall into the status quo of redefining marriage, redefining sexuality, redefining biology. They don't fall into any of that. They're going to hold the line. Guess what's going to happen? You will make yourself pray. Abel made himself pray to Cain because he wouldn't compromise. His story is amazing in this interaction. Now, going back to verse 8, Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I highlighted this because this is really going to be the essence of everything we talk about today. Notice. It mentions, the detail's not here by coincidence. It specifically lays it out, it's explicit, that Cain talked with Abel. So these two enter into a dialogue, but here's the thing. Out of that dialogue, Abel, or Cain moves to kill Abel. You know what that means? That means I want to know what was said. I mean, that's a conversation that you want to be on the wall listening to. Well, as luck would have it, the Targums record that conversation. And we're going to dig into this conversation, and I assure you, your mind will be blown. And we're going to learn about Cain. And we're going to learn at how he thinks, and we're going to learn beautiful things about Abel and about who we're called to be in Yeshua. So with that said, let's go to this very verse in the Targums. Here we go. And Cain said to Abel, his brother, Come, let us two go forth into the field. And it was that when the two had gone forth into the field, Cain answered and said to Abel, okay, this is Cain speaking now, I perceive that the world was created in goodness, but it is not governed according to the fruit of good works. For there is respect to persons in judgment. Therefore it is that thy offering, O brother, my commentary, was accepted, and mine not accepted with goodwill. In other words, Cain just came on the scene and said, you know what? Yeah, the world was created in goodness. It's not governed in goodness. You want proof, old brother, Abel? All you need is to do is look at, we both brought an offering to the same God. We were both moving to honor him, and yet, look at what happened. You were accepted, and I was rejected. We are serving a God who shows partiality. This is what Cain was attempting to convince Abel of. That God is a God of partiality. Never mind the fact that if it's one thing the Torah makes clear, God doesn't show partiality. Deuteronomy 10. He's not a God who shows partiality. The New Testament writers picked up on this. Peter, multiple times, multiple occasions, stresses the point. In fact, he does so so interestingly in Acts chapter 10 where he literally rocks the status quo of Israel and the Jewish people were to be totally separated 
from the rest of the world. Gentiles were not allowed. They were not part of the promises. No, the Gentiles don't have access to the covenant. No, they don't have access to the inheritance. They have access to nothing. Peter comes on the scene and says something. I mean, he, you know, Peter had to pay for it later. He had to answer for this with his Jewish brethren. It didn't go over well, but listen to what he said. He said this, and Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, meaning Gentiles, whoever fears him and works righteousness. Now, I'm going to stop there. Notice anything similar? It's the exact structure of the faith, the exact structure we just read in Revelation 12, 17. It's worded differently. Here he words it, whoever fears him, well, you can't fear this person you don't believe in. He's talking about having faith, pure faith. The one who has faith in the Lord and works righteousness. Revelation says, keep the commandments. He's saying the same thing. Now, isn't it interesting? Whoever fears him, works righteousness, is accepted by him. Go back to Genesis and think about what the Lord said to Cain. If you do well, you will be accepted. The narrative is everywhere. God is not a God who shows partiality, but everywhere you go, God is blowing this trumpet, telling whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile. He's telling you, you better keep the faith. You better put your hope in Yeshua, the Messiah, and you better not compromise my commandments. If you do well, only then will you be accepted. That is intense. And that's where we're getting into this aspect in this story. Now, Cain, or Abel, is going to respond to Cain's, really, an accusation against the Lord, that he shows partiality. And this is what he says. And Abel answered and said to Cain, In goodness was the world created, and according to the fruit of good works, it is governed. I want to stop here. Did you, did you pick up on anything? Do you notice anything? What did, a, what did Cain say? When he opened up his dialogue, this is so critical. If you want to know how the enemy works in your life, listen carefully. Cain opened up and said, truly in goodness, the world was created. Cain begins with truth. All you need to do is go back to the garden. What you will find is Satan did the same thing. He told the truth. And that was, God knows, in the day that you eat of this tree, your eyes will be opened. It was a truth. Adam and Eve's eyes were open. They now knew good and evil, something they had no knowledge of. They had no knowledge of sin. What? Now, that is the definition of utopia, to have no exposure to sin, right? I mean, that's an amazing thing. But Satan told a truth, and then he, it's like he sinks the hook by getting you to agree. Yeah, I'm going to tell the truth, and I'm going to hit you with a lie. And that's what Cain does. He tells the truth. But then he hits in a lie. What does Abel do? Pay attention. Abel comes back and he says, no, according to the fruit of good works, it is governed. You're a liar. Your theology is bad. You have bad theology. You couldn't be more wrong. Abel steps up and proclaims truth. He testifies to it. It is so significant. And you got to get kind of into the mind of Cain here. See, because Cain, where he's coming from in this whole thing, and him being upset that God is a God that show partiality, why does Cain think that? Because he wasn't accepted. 
Now, this is where you get into, you know, and I don't mean to step on toes, but this is where you get into the seeker-sensitive movement. And as people go in, they get, you got all these Christians coming around telling these people, you don't need to change. God loves you as you are. Just hold the line. You're fine. God, God don't change at all. God will accept you for who you are. In other words, God will accept your sacrifice. doesn't matter how you behave. See, Cain, do you understand the mindset? Cain, in his mind, he believes the only way this should have gone down is if he sees this as a God problem. This is not a Cain problem in his mind. There's no problem here. The problem is with God. If God doesn't accept my sacrifice, you're the problem, God. Now you're, not, now you're unjust. Now you're this. Now you're that. It's, it's, it's really demonic. It's a perverse mind. But make no mistake. There are times in your life you're going to be confronted with that kind of thinking. Do you know this is how we create our own Jesus? That, you know what? There are things in here I don't want to do. There's, there, you know, whether, oh, I don't want to forgive my brother. I'm not going to let go of that. So you know what? We're going to create our own Jesus that's not dependent on me forgiving my brother. Not. So I'm going to go in, I'm going to continue to pray, and I'm going to continue to raise my hands and scream hallelujah, Yeshua, and I'll take part in ministry. You're creating your own Jesus. See, because the Jesus that is demanding that you forgive your brother because of what he did on the cross, you don't want that Jesus. You, you really don't. And this is what's so scary. There's a great deception. There's a great delusion in Cain's mind. There's a great war going on. It's frightening. Abel goes on. And he says, And there is no respect of persons in judgment, but because the fruits of my works were better than thine, my oblation, in other words, my sacrifice, before thine, hath been accepted with good will. I mean, basically, Abel comes out, and what's he say? I'm better than you, king. He doesn't say it like that. Abel's heart is truly filled with humility. Abel actually, this is what's so scary. Abel does what the end time church is going to do. He comes out and he renounces the wicked acts, the wicked works. Cain, no, you did wickedly. I clung to Yeshua. I put him first. I served him. I would not compromise his commandments. I didn't raise up all these other idols in front of him. I didn't paint him in a different picture. I didn't make him who I wanted to be. I accepted him for who he was. I mean, this is the heart of Abel. This is what Abel, he's testifying against Cain. It's incredible. Well, Cain is not pleased with being rebuked, with being corrected. And he responds, Cain answered and said to Abel, there is neither judgment nor judge. Listen to these words. Nor another world. Now, you go back to the ancient sages in, in Judaism. You can even pick up this in the Talmud. The way they talk about what Christianity talks about heaven, they talk about the world to come. And so you got to pay attention what Abel is saying or what Cain is saying. Cain is saying there isn't a heaven. There isn't an age to come. There's not an afterlife. Nor will good reward be given to the righteous, nor vengeance being taken on the wicked. Oh, my. Do you now see that Cain is a man of unbelief? He's given himself to unbelief that he doesn't have faith. He literally does not believe in the judgment. He does not believe that it matters what he does. He doesn't believe. Remember what Paul says in Galatians? I mentioned it before. Do not be deceived. Whatever a man sows, he will also reap. Cain doesn't believe that. 
Cain believes that's a lie. It's false. You know what Cain doesn't believe? He doesn't believe there's a reward for the righteous. Think about this. How many of you, as you get into your work week next week, how many of you are you going to go into your job if you don't believe you're getting paid? You're not showing up. at Who shows up at work to do what they do when they don't believe they're going to get paid? Most people work on, you know, some people get paid weekly, some people bi-weekly. But you're working, you're working with the belief that, you know, I'm going to get a check. It's coming. If you don't believe that, you're not going to work. And do you, do you understand this analogy? I'm telling you right now, if a Christian, if a believer, a Messianic believer does not believe they're going to be rewarded for literally picking up their cross and following Yeshua, for becoming a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, if they do not believe at the end there's a reward, they will walk away. They will not hold the line. They will compromise in some aspect of their life. You may look at them as good people, nice people. I really appreciate them. But I'm telling you right now, they will not enter the narrow path. They will not go through the narrow gate. They will find themselves on the wide path. This is, this is the reality. This is the mind of Cain. And it's so deadly. And that's why I keep saying over and over again, don't, it's not a mystery why, you know, more and more I'm getting contacted in regard to, you know, Christians, in regard to the law, to the Torah, and them seeking the Torah. And we, it's not a mystery why the devil would come and take the Torah. With all the sound reasoning, all these words that Yeshua speaks, and, and the words that we hear in Genesis, if you do well, you will be accepted. Just take out, you know, it's like, it's almost like the devil wants to move the line of scrimmage. He just keeps moving it and moving it. It's really an incredible thing. All right. Psalm 10, verse 13, which speaks to what we're talking about. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. The Bible tells us why people fall into this. Unbelief. No faith. No faith. And yet you got the people in Matthew 7 lined up. It says many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, enter into me. They're professing their faith. That's what's so scary. You have all these believers in Yeshua. They're going to profess their faith, but they don't live a life of faith. They're not faithful. They're unfaithful because they actually don't believe at the end of the day it matters. Why, why doesn't the Christian church keep the Sabbath? The devil convinced them it doesn't matter. It doesn't. You can keep it whatever day where you don't want to keep it, whatever. I mean, it's that kind of mentality that is demonic from the pit of hell. I'll call it out. There are many other things we could talk about. Continuing on. And Abel answered and said to Cain, There is a judgment, and there is a judge, and there is another world, and a good reward given to the righteous, and vengeance taken of the wicked. In other words, Cain comes, or Abel comes on the scene. He rebukes Cain again by what? He's speaking the truth. He said, everything you just said is a lie. I renounce it. Now, here's the thing. You know, Cain, here's the opportunity. Cain can fall to his knees and go, thank you, brother. I was delusional. What was I thinking? I was deceived by the enemy. I'm so messed up. Forgive me just for who I've been and what... I mean, here's... You have, you have another example where during this conversation, Cain could repent, but he doesn't. Well, look at what happens next. 
This is what we're told. And because of these words, they had contention upon the face of the field. And Cain arose against Abel, his brother, and drave a stone into his forehead and killed him. Now, I highlighted the most important part here because of these words. Why does Cain move to kill Abel? Because of what Abel said. Because he professed the truth. That's what enraged him. He got angry and moved to kill him. And Yeshua warns us, he says this, the world cannot hate you. Doesn't mean he, he's not saying that it won't hate you, but he says it cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. In other words, when Yeshua is living in your heart, you will speak the words of Yeshua. And Yeshua is telling you, you know how you're, you know, this response you're supposed to expect? Hatred. The same response Abel got from Cain. Nothing but hatred when he spoke the truth because Abel testified against Cain's evilness, against his wicked works, wicked deeds. This is what's going to happen in this generation. The more you get bold, the more you speak the truth, the more you hold the line on the word, the more you are going to offend this society around us. It's just the reality. Now, John throws his hat into the ring, and he says, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one. Now, just so you know, New Testament commentators knew very clearly. Who did Cain follow? Who was his master? It wasn't Yahweh. It wasn't the Most High God. El Shaddai. No, no. It was Hasatan. And he murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Million dollar question. Why did he do it? It's very simple. Because his works were evil and his brother's righteousness. He hated it. Cain couldn't look at it. He was so offended that Abel would cling to righteousness. Again, it's repugnant to him. Take you to 2 Chronicles. We're going to lay right on top of this story. Yet he sent the prophets to them to bring them back to the Lord. And this is to his own people. We're in church now, okay? And they testified against them, but they would not listen. Israel would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he also has forsaken you. See, this is a truth right here that nobody wants to believe. That, you know what, I can dabble in sin. I'm going to stick my toe in the deep end. I'm going to okay. But you know what, the Lord's right there. And we love to quote the verse, he'll never leave me nor forsake me. It's all good. I'm fine. Make no mistake. Scripture after scripture will tell you and testify. God will not dwell with the wicked. Sin separates you from God. That's why there had to be an altar created. That altar brought that relationship back. Now, if we willfully sin after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no more sacrifice. There's no more altar. There's no more relationship. I need that. Yeshua is the key element, the ultimate sacrifice. I need that for total relationship with the Father. You will lose all of that when you choose the devil to be your Messiah. If you are willingly going into sin, I, I mean, how else do you put this? It's over and over again. But again, we go in the way of Cain. 
And we tell ourselves, no, that's not the case. He'll never leave me or forsake me. It's okay. Everybody else is doing it. Other Christians are doing it. You know, sometimes we're not very smart sheep. And we just follow along. Well, listen to this. This is where it gets real. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. In church, if you will, they took care of Zechariah. Isn't that interesting? What does Zechariah do? He goes out, tells them they are sinning, they're living in sin, they need to turn back, and they need to do righteousness. And what did they respond? They killed him. That is exactly what Cain did to Abel, because it's exactly what Abel did to Cain. He professed the truth, and Cain killed him for it. These stories lay on top of one another, and and this is not a coincidence. You know, going back to Matthew 23, as Yeshua comes out of the gate and just blasts the scribes and Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you blind guides. And then you know what he does? In conclusion to those statements, as he's just coming unhinged, in conclusion, he says this, look at this. That on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. Oh, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I mean, Yeshua brings Abel, I mean, quite literally, A to Z, right? Abel, Zechariah, A to Z. As you have the Bible, Genesis, all the way to Second Chronicles, obviously last book in the Hebrew Bible, not Malachi. Second Chronicles is. And he's, he's comparing these things, and he's looking at these things and going, this, this is the template. You guys are going to pay dearly because you haven't accepted me. But what I want you to draw from that is the narrative. It keeps playing over and over. Everything we see happening, you know, the Lord declares the end from the beginning. Everything we see playing out in Cain and Abel, it plays out through the ages, but it reaches its crescendo in the coming days. It's going to reach its crescendo as we get into the end of the age the last grains of sand going through the hourglass. Going back to our story. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, lo yadati, don't know. First lie ever spoken by a man. Second lie ever told in scripture. You want to know who his father was? It's interesting. Go back and find out who lied before him. He was a serpent in the garden when he told his mother, Cain's mother, you will surely not die. And now Cain comes on. He knows where he is. He just got done killing him. He knows exactly where he is. And then he gets snide. Look at what he says next. Am I my brother's keeper? And and here's the thing. We're going to get into this very deep, but not today. It's going to be later on in Jude. There's a place that we're going to talk about this. But I will say this, you know, the, the word there in the Hebrew is shamar. That's the very word that's used in Deuteronomy 5 of, for example, of you should keep or protect the Shabbat. You're supposed to protect it. You're supposed to guard it. Let me, let me say this today. We are absolutely, if you identify Yeshua as the Messiah, you are to be your brother's keeper. You are to put the interest of your others above your own. You are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. This is our calling. We are called to be our brother's keeper. It is a wicked heart to say, he's not my problem. I don't, I'm not going to get messed up with him. Absolutely demonic. Verse 10. And he said, what have you done? Oh, that's the second time that's been said. The first time the Lord said that, again, was to his mother. 
when she sinned. When, when that sin came out, the Lord came and said, what have you done? And now he has said it to Cain. The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. There are two things that I want you to know about that statement, about the blood. And, and to dig into this, we got to go apocalyptic. We're going to get into Enoch here just briefly, and we're going to get into Revelation. I'll look at Enoch first, since this is uh, so much on the forefront of Jude's mind. Check this out. It says this, I saw the spirits of the children of men who were dead, and their voice went forth from heaven and made suit. Then I asked Raphael, the angel who was with me, and I said unto him, This spirit, whose is it? Whose voice goeth forth and maketh suit? Verse uh, 7. And he answered me saying, This is the spirit which went forth from Abel, whom his brother Cain slew. Oh, here it is. And he makes his suit against him till his seed is destroyed from the face of the earth, and his seed is annihilated from amongst the seed of men. So you understand that when the Lord is talking about in the Torah, in the Genesis account, your brother's blood is crying out to me. One thing I want you to know, it doesn't stop crying ever. Think about this. Think about that. Day after day, mom and dad, how do you respond when your children start to cry because somebody else hurt them? And you hear their cries. You want to move immediately. What do you think the heart of the Lord is feeling? As generation after generation, Cain's have risen up, those who have gone in the way of Cain and taken out his children whom he loves, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. He never stops hearing their cries. And see, you got to understand something. <laughs> there is a day coming where the Lord can't take it anymore. He's not going to be able to take those cries anymore, and he's going to be filled with so much wrath and so much anger, he's going to release it. And it is going to be released on the wicked, and all those cries, are going, those tears, are going to be wiped away. That is the day we're waiting for. And the righteous who have gone before us and have been slain, they're crying to this very day and the Lord hears them. You need to understand, the Lord hears those cries. How powerful is that? He's not ignoring them. The wicked have no idea what is coming. You do not want to see Yeshua coming for vengeance. It's a side that nobody talks about. Now, building on that, going to Revelation, second thing I want to point out here. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and the testimony which they held. There's that again. It's woven throughout the tapestry of everything we're talking about. It's the structure of the faith again. What are they slain for? The word of God. They kept the commandments. Or as Peter would say, they worked righteousness. And the testimony they held, they would not stop proclaiming Jesus, Yeshua. And they've been slain. Now we find out about this blood. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So we know the Lord. Day after day, these children are crying out to their king, to the one who's going to save them. What are they crying? This is what they're crying. How long until you judge and avenge our blood? They're crying out for vengeance. Vengeance isn't theirs. They said, until you avenge our blood. Vengeance is the Lord's. 
This is what they're crying. It would do well for the wicked to take heed to what the cries are right now. To all these people in the past, I mean, do the wicked well to take notice of the word of God. Because if, they're gonna, if, they, if they refuse, as Cain has refused, they're going to be on the wrong side of judgment. And going back, verse 11, we've got a little bit more. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. Now, you can look at the practical implications of this. I think it's clear. You know what? The, 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 the ground isn't going to yield its strength to you. Obviously, it had before. It yielded strength to king. He was a farmer. And now he's going to become a vagabond, just a floater. Moving about, he won't have any one place to call home. And this is typically how people will look at this and say, well, that's really what it means that you're cursed from the earth. Please hear me now. The deeper reality is much more haunting than simply the earth not producing its strength. The deeper reality is this. For blessed, for those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Do you understand? There's a prophetic inference here when he says, so now you are cursed from the earth. You're damned to hell. You're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. This is much more haunting. This is much more terrifying. And let me build it. As we continue to the next verse, you'll start to see the prophetic inference. And Cain said to the Lord, Oh, my punishment in the Hebrew, it's a bone. Almost every time you see that word, it's, it's translated one way, iniquity. Now think about this. Cain says to the Lord, My iniquity, my iniquity is greater than I can bear. Why? And I, I want listen to me carefully. For everyone who goes in the way of Cain, their iniquity will be greater than they can bear because there will be no atonement for it because you can have no atonement when there's no faith and when there's no obedience and when you did not pick up your cross and follow him. The wicked, as they go into the lake of fire, they're going to experience something they cannot bear. They cannot endure the fires of hell. It's not something they can bear. They can't endure it. But that's their future. That's where things are going. Verse 14. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and vagabond on the earth. Now listen to this. Because now he's going to hit the point that he's concerned about. He doesn't unpack these things. He doesn't say, oh no, Lord, please don't, don't let these things happen. He doesn't say that. This is what he's concerned about. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. This is the mind of Cain. What is Cain concerned with? He's concerned with his own life. Think about that. And what does Yeshua say? Whoever seeks to save his life is going to lose it. But this is his only concern. You would think that Cain would be concerned about this. I will be hidden from your face. You want to talk? This is the mind of Cain. He's not worried about being out of the presence of God. How is this even possible? He's worried about somebody's going to kill him. He's so short-sighted in his sight. He truly is a man of, that's totally a man of unbelief. He has no faith. He's not worried about that. When David committed the same crime that Cain committed, King David, in, in, in Psalm 51, makes it very clear what ends up happening. David's broken, and he confesses his sin. He confesses, 
Cleanse me from the guilt of bloodshed. It literally, Psalm 58 talks about that. And then he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And what does he say after that? Do not cast me out of your presence. That was his concern. David's concern, he did not want to leave the presence of the living God. Man, that's who Abel is. Abel is that kind of man, that kind of righteousness. We need to be Abel's and David's. See, there was hope. There's hope. Even though you failed and even though you sinned, there is hope through confessing and calling upon the name of Yeshua and having the heart that King David had. That's what we need. Verse 15, we're almost done. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That's it. I mean, this story is riddled. This is what's going to happen to the wicked. They're going to be cast out of the presence. And we're going to land here. Verse 4, by faith. Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And through it, he being dead still speaks. What would be the contrast to that? Well, Cain made an offering, but it was without faith, as you can see all the way to today. So here we get this synopsis, this reality of who Cain is. Not the way you want to go. Not the mentality by which you want to think. The way you want to reason is in pure foolishness. So we need to watch our step in this. Uh, We're going to close in prayer. The music team can come up.